Welcome to The Brainstorm, a podcast and video series from ARK Invest. Tune in every week as we react to the latest in innovation and reflect on how short-term news impacts our long-term views. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Investment Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. ARK and Public are unaffiliated entities and do not have a relationship with respect to either firm marketing or selling the products or services of the other. And therefore, ARK disclaims responsibility for any loss that may be incurred by public's clients or customers. The information provided in this show is for informational purposes only and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision and is subject to change without notice. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK and investors should determine for themselves whether a particular investment management service is suitable for their investment needs. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC and or show guests and are not endorsements by ARC of any company or security or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in the show may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. ARC assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking information. ARC and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or issuers that are discussed. Certain information was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information obtained from any third party. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 36 of The Brainstorm. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Dan Soroker, co-founder and CEO of Rewind AI, and also Andrew Kim from ARK Invest. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe we could just start and have you tell your story, the, the story of Rewind. You've been there from the beginning. You are a co-founder. So I'd love to hear kind of the original thesis around the product that you have in the market today and how it's been evolving. Yeah. I mean, the story began in my 20s when I actually started to lose my hearing. And when I turned 30, I tried a hearing aid and it was magical. In a moment, I got my hearing back and it made me realize just how bad my hearing had gotten because it was very gradual over the years before that. And it sort of made me question, what are all the other limits that we just accept about our biology and um, and really don't challenge, which led me to the mind? You know, the mind has these two two major challenges. Our memory is very flawed. You know, we forget about 90% of what happens after a week. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think about that, that means if you have a weekly team meeting, only 10% of that last meeting is remembered that time you meet again. Uh, and not only that, but we're bombarded with information. So our mind's processing capacity. I mean, we only can make about 50 decisions a day, uh, high quality decisions. And so that really led me to think, you know, if there's a hearing aid for hearing and glasses for vision, what's the equivalent for your mind? You know, how do we augment human intelligence with artificial intelligence, not replace human intelligence, but augment human intelligence. Uh, and that was the thesis that started the company. And so can you can you explain a bit around the product you have in the market today and what, what you're building, and both from a software and hardware perspective? Because I think an interesting component of this is this could potentially usher in a new hardware era within mobile and, and at-home compute. So we'd love to just hear a bit about how the product has been evolving. Yeah. So we let you create a private repository of everything you've seen, said, or heard and make it useful with AI. So for example, if you're in back-to-back meetings, you don't have time to take notes or track action items or even you know keep up with what's going on in Slack while you're in the meeting. 
Rewind does that automatically for you. It tries to integrate with your you know, Mac, with your phone. Soon we'll have a wearable device called the Rewind Pendant that can capture conversations that are out in the real world. And all of that is in service of really giving you back more time, you know, giving you time to uh, follow what, what gives you energy, what gives you purpose. There's so much that an AI can do for you. And that's what we're focused on is how do we augment your capabilities with AI to, to give you back more time. Great. Um, in terms of how you've built the product and the large language model you're using, what decisions were made in you know, trying to go out there and find the most capable model for what you're building today? So we, we are actually very unique in the AI landscape. And if you think about a two by two grid of, you know, uh, proprietary data set and non-proprietary data and on the other axes, you know, capital, uh, 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 intensive or not capital intensive, we're kind of in the sweet spot. You know, we actually have the most amazing proprietary data, everything you've seen, said, or heard, um, that's data that for you as an individual is incredibly valuable to, to provide context to a large language model. So that's where, you know, we don't actually have to train a lot of these models from scratch. We can use off the shelf uh, large language models and use what's called RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generation, to augment the, the prompts that you send to a large language model with the context of your past. So it's this amazing marriage where our product gets better every time, you know, GPT-4, GPT-5, GPT-6, every new model that comes out, which is really focused on reasoning, we pair with the data that we have. Uh, and together that builds an amazing product experience for our users. So it seems like a lot of AI consumer hardware players have all decided that voice is kind of going to be the dominant medium in which, because um, in how consumers interact with these uh, assistants. Uh, can you talk about like where do you see a visual surface such as like the mobile phone in, let's say five ten years time, um, and and if this like. Uh, dominant focus on voice is kind of like the right decision going forward, in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had to predict five or 10 years down the line, or certainly, you know, maybe longer than that, I think what will happen is people will look back at today. Uh, you know, our grandkids will look back at today the same way we look back at our grandparents and we think, you know, they would go out into the woods and they didn't have a smartphone with GPS and they would just get lost. Like getting lost was a thing to our grandparents. Today, we forget 90% of what happens. And when our grandkids look back at today, they'll think, how is it possible that you just like forgot most of what happened in your lives and you just accepted it? And so to me, it's less to me the focus on how you interact with the device, you know, voice or phone or, you know, um, uh, vision, uh, and more about the opportunity for that technology to augment our memories in a way that today we augment, you know, where we get around transportation. We don't think twice about the fact that we have a GPS um, you know, smartphone in our pocket. You know, I do think, you know, more specifically to voice and the other mediums, I do think that's a prevalent method of interaction with large language models, in large part because large language models deal with language. Uh, and voice is a very convenient way to produce language. Um, I do think the, uh, the, you know, the vision that's uh, described and shown in the movie Her is a very likely outcome that people won't need uh, an operating system that's traditionally organized with files and a mouse and, and keyboard. Uh, that is much more elegant to talk to and interact with these models using your voice. Um, so I think that's just naturally how those large language models work. Uh, and that's why voice is so prevalent today. But it's not necessary. I think that's a means to the end of augmenting human intelligence. It's not so much the, the means itself isn't, I think, the most uh, incredible thing. It's the augmentation that I think uh, gives us a lot of power. 
does Rewind's philosophy on memory retrieval, does that extend to all information retrieval? As in, do you think scrolling through an e-commerce site, that's no longer going to be you know, a, a widely done activity? It's, I mean, you know, browsing and shopping may be done for leisure. I think yeah. a lot of what's done today for shopping is very inefficient, uh, in part because we have poor memories. You know, one of the one use cases we talk about for Rewind is, you know, if you're looking to purchase something, for me, it was, you know, my, my, um, my HVAC uh, was busted. It was old. I was trying to find a new one. I was doing a lot of research. I was looking at lots of websites, looking at reviews. There's lots of SEO content that's kind of old garbage. And after several hours of this, you know, I put it down, came back a day or two later. And then I was like, where was I? You know, getting back into that frame of mind of trying to figure out what I want. And I just asked Rewind, you know, what's given the research I've done, not just given the Internet and all the SEO content out there that's designed to sort of trick me to buy the thing. But the research I've done, my particular house, the thing I'm looking for, what's the best option for me and what are the trade-offs? And it was able to do that in such an amazing way that if I had perfect memory, I could do. But the machine, which does have perfect memory, can do for me. So I think those kind of uh, retrieval augmented generation e-commerce use cases will be very prevalent, uh, where you maybe you do some quick research here and there. People are busy today. They're going to be even more busy in the future. They don't have time to sit down and just browse. They, you know, they're likely snacking uh, when they're buying, especially if it's a big purchase. Gotcha. Dan, I want to um, focus on you know the current business model, if you can maybe explain that to the listeners and viewers, and then also maybe just talk with you how you think the business model can evolve. Because in just hearing the way that you describe this information retrieval and you know how there could be you know search functionality within that, and then product pushes if you know you are looking for a new HVAC service or, or product, it feels like the business model can evolve into something that we're kind of accustomed to today, but in this new layer that sits at kind of the digital assistant. You know, that, and you're talking more about a free model that's, that's generating ads or I'm, something like that? So I'm, I'm more so just asking yeah. to kind of hear your thoughts of how you think it evolves over time. And then also maybe just if you could, um, you know, kind of tee up how it, how it works today for, for users. Yeah, I mean, how it works today, I think, will be how it works in the future for us. And a big part of that is privacy. We want to be very clear that you are not our product. Our product is our product, and you pay us for that. Uh, we do have a very generous free plan that lets you use quite a bit of the pro uh, kit product today. And when you're ready to upgrade and you want some more sophisticated capabilities, then it's a monthly subscription. So I think purely for the purpose of privacy and making it very clear who you know what's going to happen with your data, uh, we want to make it unambiguous that like we will never sell your data, we will never run ads. Uh, you know, our business is really focused on creating value and augmenting your day. And you know, for many folks, we give them back an hour a day. Like that's priceless, an hour a day, especially for a busy person who's getting paid a lot of money. You know, that's very valuable. We just hope to take a small fraction of that in our uh, you know uh, subscription fee. So we think there's a very viable business model there. Maybe other competitors will find different approaches where they sort of monetize through um, you know through through ads or through sort of um, you know. Uh, sponsored uh, uh, links, that kind of thing. But that's not our approach. We think it's, especially in the world today where we're capturing really sensitive information. It's everything you've seen, said, or heard. We want to be unequivocal that that data is never going to be used in a way that you'd never expect in anything nefarious. Yeah, that's yeah, that's super helpful context. And you touched on something I wanted to ask about as well, which is this privacy, you know, the privacy question involved. If people are wearing pendants and, and you know, listening devices, you know, most people would call that, hey, you're, you know, wearing a wire. But obviously, there is functionality in the data that's being captured. Do you think we'll cross a chasm, uh, a chasm where, you know, consumers believe that the, the utility being provided in this data capture 
supersedes kind of the privacy concerns as assuming that they can trust in rewind AI and, you know, other players in the space. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think about it a lot and I don't think of it as a choice. I think Facebook did the world a big disservice by making convenience and privacy uh, a trade-off. You know, and that's largely driven by their business model. So it all starts with the business model. For us, the business model is you are a customer, our product is our product, and you pay us for the service that you're using. And so what does that mean product-wise? Well, there's lots of capabilities that we are building that will make it so that you can record yourself and, and be just as successful capturing everything you want to say and respect the privacy of the people around you. That's really where the rubber meets the road. So two examples of things that we're investing in. One is speaker diarization which means in a meeting like this, a video conference or a, a you know, podcast, the technology is able to identify who is speaking when. They know when I'm speaking, they know when you're speaking. That's actually something that we as humans can do naturally. So from first principles, a machine probably can do it. And if you can do that, plus another additional technology called voice printer, uh, fingerprinting, very much like today, you have retinal fingerprinting, you can actually decide, okay, this device captures me, I'm wearing it, I've given consent, and I want everything I say to be captured. And only the people who I meet who say, when I ask them, is it okay if I capture this conversation because it's important to me, I want to remember it later, they say yes, then it starts recording them. So those are the kinds of technologies that I think will be necessary to make it so that convenience isn't at odds with the utility of these tools. And the best analogy I can draw here is actually the telephone. You know, back when the telephone came about, people are, if you look back at the, the, the New York Times, the first article about it, all of the complaints were around privacy, which people today are like, privacy? What's the concern around privacy around the phone? But it was back then that the telephone required you to go to the general store. And if you went to the general store and you're talking on the phone, people could eavesdrop and hear what you're saying. And it wasn't until the phone got to your home and even when it got to your home, there's still this issue of the eavesdropping switchboard operators. Once they overcame the general store problem, the switchboard operator problem, that's when telephones became mainstream. And we as a company are trying to achieve that. We're trying to do for AI wearables what the phone got to when it was able to solve both those problems. And those are just technology problems. Those are problems that can be solved and we're, we're focused on that. Do you feel like physical switches on such a pendant like, could be powerful enough of a signal to ensure, like, ensure that you are, you know, respecting the privacy of others, like a giant oh, unmute button, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. That is something that I think is important. Uh, we want to make it very clear that this is not a covert recording device, that when it's on, it's on, it's off, it's off. We've built in and designed from an industrial design perspective that to be unambiguous. Uh, also, the dev- the colors and the design is is meant to be bright, playful, fun, something people are proud to wear. They're not, they're not um, you know, hiding. So those are all things that we think about from the very beginning, starting with that sort of philosophy that this, needs, this device needs to have utility for the person wearing it. It needs to actually have utility for the people you meet with, and it needs to have utility for society writ large. And all three of those constituents are critical for this technology to become mainstream. Uh, and I think if you look at you know, the history of wearables, a lot of companies really fell short on the second and third, even on the first. You look at Google Glass, what problem did it really try to solve? Like it wasn't really clear to the person wearing it, what am I getting out of this? To the people around you, you, you know, the person wearing it, I was one of the first uh, to, to, to get an early version of it. I didn't know how to explain it to those. Like, I can take pictures. Like, I don't. And so that's what we want to nail. We want to make it so clear to everyone why I'm wearing this. It's helping me remember. It's helping us have a better conversation. You know, if you meet with somebody in a coffee shop and you, you're getting advice, you can tell them, look, I'll send you a copy of this after. Is that all right? I'll send you. And then they have that for their records. So that ability to sort of create utility for all of those constituents, I think, are critical to, to going mainstream. Gotcha. I have one question on customer capture. Um, so it seems like you know a very clear 
cohort that you can service today are like the power notion users, the note takers, the personal CRM users, right? People who already care a lot about note taking and information storage and retrieval. Um, and my question is, you know, that may not describe most people today, though in the future, that might be the status quo, right? So what do you think are the features of Rewind that kind of need to be in place to ensure mass market adoption, right? Such that the core uh, value add that you are providing today becomes status quo in the future, but it might be considered something that only like power users do today. Yeah. You know? So, so I'll say two things. Uh, power users today, the people who are really focused on on productivity and they they have their own personal knowledge management PKM setup. Many of them, what they're doing, if you really think about it, is kind of crazy. Uh, you know, at best they're using technology, but let's say they're using a pen and paper. What they're doing is they're taking a tree, they're chopping it down, turning it into rectangle cold paper, taking a stick with ink at the end of it, and scribbling things down so that they can remember better. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to remember better. They want, if they had perfect memory, they wouldn't be taking notes. They're not actually doing that for the purpose of anything other than they might want to go back to that later. So those people, if you said to them, look, instead of taking notes, how about you just capture everything passively? And instead of having to have the foresight, this is where note-taking really fails, you have to know what you might want later. But oftentimes, it's just that serendipitous thing that, oh, what was that thing that Dan said three weeks ago? I forgot. Oh, I forgot. I didn't take a note. I lost it. If you have comprehensiveness of capture, everything you've seen, said, or heard, it's passive. You don't have to think about it. Then instead of taking notes, you can actually be present. You can actually be focused on the conversation. You can be listening. The, the second thing I'll say about note-taking is people have this mistaken guy, a notion that help, taking notes helps them remember. What taking notes helps you do is remember the thing you write down. As you're writing, you are almost immediately forgetting the thing that's being said. So you have this sort of like staccato you know, uh, capture of a meeting. You think you're remembering because the things you remember, you remember, but you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and there's many studies that have shown that the process of even taking notes as you're writing, the thing that's currently being said, not the thing you was just said that you're writing, you forget. And so I just think there's a fundamentally flawed approach. Even if you use a you know, Notion or, or other notes uh, taking tools, many of our customers, they say they came to us because they want a better tool. They want to be more present. And after a while, they're like, why am I even taking the notes? The, 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 the tool does it for me. And I think that's just a fundamentally better approach is a passive always on capture that if you need it later, you can get it. But if you don't, then you can just focus on being present. Um. As you've been on this journey building this product, what have been some of maybe the most surprising insights you or some of your customers have surfaced for the company? One of the meta surprises has been just how every time we've been surprisingly transparent, it's worked out. Uh, you know, we've done several things along the way to build trust with customers. And, you know, I, I've always had this belief that transparency builds trust. Uh, you know, back last April, one thing we did was we, we just put our, our Series A pitch deck out in public. We put it on Twitter, went viral, had like 2 million views. We got thousands of offers to invest. And the goal wasn't really actually to get investors. We got great investors out of it. But the real goal was to show that we're a real business. We're not going away anytime soon. And that trust that built with customers and users, many of whom are also founders, so it really helped resonate with them. That was amazing. And we just kept doing it. Like, you know, a few months later, I put out um, uh, five of my last 360 performance reviews. You know, I'm the CEO and we do 360s. I get feedback from people, sometimes really brutally candid feedback. I just put it out on, the, on Twitter. 
And that transparency, again, built uh, and, and bred trust. And so that's something that we've noticed is that, you know, you have these fears around status quo and like nobody ever puts their pitch deck out. So why would we like that's but reality is that if you're surprisingly transparent, you sort of change people's mindset around your company and your brand in, in a way that's uh, time and time again has surprised. It hasn't backfired yet. We'll see. Uh, we'll keep being transparent until uh, we realize maybe we went too far. And then maybe if we if we could maybe zoom out a bit and think about the product roadmap here and maybe just more generally, how do you view kind of the digital assistant market shaping up? I, you know, you're going after one use case today. Do you view this as kind of the start and you'll begin to incorporate more and more functionality because you are gathering so much useful do- context yeah. and data on individuals? It seems kind of like the productization of that just will continue to develop over time. Or do you think that from a consumer perspective, we'll have many different digital assistants that we interact with? Or do you think it maybe consolidates to one that does many uh, different you know, functions for us? Yeah, I, I think what we're doing is um, unique in one special way, which is there, there's a category of digital assistant, which, you know, as you think about it, maybe you think of, oh, it'll help you book a flight or maybe it'll help you, you know, um, do a task that anyone can do. What we're really focused on is doing the tasks the way you would do it, using the context of your past. So it's it, it's, it's I mean, the distinction is between a personal assistant and a personalized assistant, a personalized assistant where it's not somebody who just goes and gets you coffee, but it's it's somebody who has the context of everything you've seen or said or heard. A good example is it could write an email that you would have written as well or better than you would write it yourself. That's not something that even a personal assistant could do. So even in the category of assistance, I think we have a very narrow wedge, which is just like the things that are, you know, only possible if you have the full context of everything you've seen, said, or heard. So just because, and, and I see that's already hard enough for us to do, you know, well, so that makes me think that the category of assistance broadly defined, anything that a technology can do um, to, to sort of augment you is likely large and, and lots of different specialized use cases. I, I, I have a hard time imagining any one company or any one product doing it all really well. It may be powered by some of the same core components. Like I think a great assistant needs to have great reasoning. So it will likely have a large language model. That's what large language models are trained to do is reasoning. But just because it can do great reasoning doesn't mean it necessarily has the context to know how to respond to a Slack message for you. So those are the things where I think the the maybe the the underlying uh, mechanics, the, the engine behind a lot of these assistant-like tools would be very similar, but the data it uses, the use cases it focuses on may be very different. So that's my bet. Who knows? I mean, maybe there's somebody else who figures it out. Uh, but even when you have AGI, like AGI without your personal data is also, you know, you're still limited. You still can't do the things that you would have done if right. you had everything you've seen, said, or heard. Right. Though it seems like having that kind of unstructured relatively unstructured communications data is like a pretty great precedent to um, carry out consumer services execution, right? Right, As you just said, um, in the style that the consumer would want it. And and my question is like, have you started exploring that in terms of like building some sort of preference or personality graph for a user? And like, can my Slack messages that may only have to do with work kind of inform like what kind of babysitter I want to hire, you know? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely have, you know, and that's where we've seen that it's actually surprisingly, uh, LLMs are surprisingly good at given just a few examples of how you respond, how you act, uh, at mimicking you. I mean, that's in some ways what it's learned to do is, is, is mimic humanity and everything on the internet writ large. You give it a few examples of what you are like, how you respond, how you like to communicate. And, and mimicking you is actually not, all that difficult. Um, 
you know, there are moments, there's lots of edge cases where you need a specific bit of context that only you had. That's where the comprehensiveness or approach really helps, where, you know, it may have been, you know, you're getting a text message from your, your wife, but it's asking a question about an email, but so you need the email and like, like, you know, that vice versa, it may be your personal email. So that comprehensiveness of that data is often necessary to get to that long tail of responses. Um, but I definitely do envision a day where most of how humans, especially knowledge workers, spend their day is in editing mode. They're not in creating mode. It's much, much harder to start with a blank piece of paper or let's say a blank email to your boss than it is with a draft already pre-written. Hey, here's an update on the project. And it's a draft of everything. And you can tweak it and edit it and you can review it and send it, but you don't have to start from scratch every single time. That's where I think AI and augmenting human intelligence with artificial intelligence really can shine. Dan, thank you so much for joining. We have one last question for you and it and we'll, we'll ask you, um, and you can defer this, but what is your uh, prediction for the next uh, few years, given you know all of this rapid growth in AI and the company you're building? What is kind of a prediction that maybe most people wouldn't believe, but you're you're kind of ground roots, you're you're in the weeds every day, and you think that you know this is going to be a reality in the next few years, probably surpassing other people's expectations. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is I do think it, certainly our grandkids and maybe even sooner than that will be shocked at how we lived our lives. Uh, you know, we, they will shock. It, it will be the way we look back at people before the Industrial Revolution. It's like, how did they survive? And I think a big reason why is that people will realize that most of their experiences are forgotten. And that ability to capture those moments, those experiences and use them to give you better utility and more productivity. I think once you felt it, I certainly have. It's so hard to imagine living life without it. So I think that's, you know, that's a different you know, that's change and change takes time. And sometimes people are re reluctant to change. But, uh, you know, when you once you feel the feeling of being able to just live your life, be present, you don't have to take notes, you have a tool that sort of, you know, gives you that that second brain um, in, in, and that feeling of insurance. Uh, I think it's very hard to live life without it. So that's my prediction. Maybe not in the next few years, but certainly by the time uh, the next few generations come about, they'll look back at today and laugh. I'm ready for that future today. I'm ready for that future now. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much, Danford, for joining. Sure. Um, it was uh, great to speak with you. I think everyone's going to really enjoy this and, and the product that you're building at Rewind AI. Where can um, people go to follow you? You mentioned you have an X Twitter account. Yep. Uh, yeah. Let, let, uh, let, let the listeners know. Sure. Yeah. You can follow me at D Siroker, uh, just my first letter in S-I-R-O-K-E-R. Uh, on Twitter slash X, or uh, if you go to rewind.ai, you can download the product, a uh, very generous free plan. You can try it out and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Great. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Great. Bye.